I have a message that the Lord put on my heart uh, that I can't wait to share with you. And uh, we spend a lot of my time praying, so I'm just going to go over because I can make those kinds of decisions. Um, but I want to preach a message called Visitation Rights. Visitation Rights. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 2, um, verse 17 through, through 21. And I want to tell you why I'm preaching this message, Visitation Rights. is because... And, and I want you to remember this. If you don't remember any other sentence of anything you hear this morning, uh, I feel like God gave me this message, visitation rights, is because we don't want God to visit. We want him to dwell. We don't want a visit from the Holy Spirit. We as a church want to be the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. You, you, you ever heard, man, legacy nights, God showed up. You ever heard that terminology? I don't want people to say God shows up to Oasis. I want people to say the Holy Spirit lives in those people and in that church. He lives there. He doesn't visit when, when certain worship leaders are up or certain scriptures are preached about. He lives there. Does that make sense? And so if you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. Uh, this describes what, what Peter said after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Peter says this, No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon lead pastors. I will pour out my spirit on people on staff. No, no, no. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Okay? And then what will happen when God pours out his spirit? Um, ushers, leaders, administrators will prophesy. No, no, no. Sons and daughters will prophesy. The reason why the prophetic is dying in the church is because people aren't living like sons and daughters. You know what sons and daughters mean? Um, they, it means that we have, we're bearing the image, the likeness. It's in our nature now. It means to have the nature of the Father. It doesn't mean to get a word and then you got to do it. It means that you've been in the word so long, you naturally do what the word Okay, watch this. My sons and daughters will prophesy. My sons and daughters will prophesy. It, it means, have you everybody heard, somebody told me, I, I believe I hear from God. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. Well, yeah, sheep need God to talk all the time. But when you move from a sheep to a son, you can now say to someone else what God would used to have to say to you. My, you see the difference? My sons and daughters will prophesy. And then it says, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. This is a kingdom church. And I will cause wonders in the heavens below. Not wanderers, wonders and signs on the earth belows. I will cause wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of, of the Lord arrives. So he's speaking about what's supposed to happen in between now and Christ's coming. These people had all of their hope 
and that one day Jesus would come back. Not that they would get a promotion, not that they would get, those things are great, not that they would get a new car. All their hope is, can we make this earth so amazing that when Christ returns, he likes what he sees? And, they, and, and some Bible scholars believe that the reason why they operated with such a sense of urgency is because they thought he was coming back by the end of every day. So then everything they did was with the belief, this is what some Bible scholars say, that Jesus was coming back before the day was over. Do you know what you would do if you thought Jesus was coming back before the Super Bowl? It would instinctively change what you do. You, you wouldn't need anybody to tell you what to do. Jesus is coming back tonight, and, and he's coming back to your house. You'd be doing all the dishes. You'd do your laundry. You'd be praying. You would do all the things you need to do. And so what happens is what, what the enemy does sometimes to us is he, he, he doesn't un make us understand the full gospel. Christ came. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. He's coming back. Christ came, died, buried, resurrected. He's coming back. And if you believe that Christ is coming back, right? Are you ever, my wife goes out of town and leaves me with the kids. And I do feel abandoned and forsaken. Especially with, um, with uh, you know, when mom's not there, sometimes the kids just don't do what they're supposed to do. And so I don't know about you, but about some of the other men, but when my wife goes out of town, my house looks like a tornado hit it. And she comes back on a Friday, and she left on a Wednesday, Wednesday and Thursday, and she's coming back in the, in the evening, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday morning and afternoon, that house looks like a bomb went off in it. But when I know my wife is coming back in the next couple of hours, I make it look like what it needs to look like and what it should have looked like the whole time because she's coming back. So even instinctively in her return, I instinctively do something that I wouldn't normally do. And so I want you to know one of the greatest prophecies the church of God has ever been given is that Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming back. He's coming back. I know you don't clap, but that's okay. This is the word. So I want, I want you to take, think about Acts chapter two. This is a church service you would have wanted to be in, right? Man, this is like what we're believing in our church. This is why we had Legacy Nights, Acts chapter 2. And I want to take you to five chapters later in Acts chapter 7, verses, verse 51. This is Stephen, the church leader. It says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so did you. So Acts chapter 2, my sons and daughters will prophesy. And five chapters later, Bible scholars say this was around two to four years later. Now, must you always resist the Holy Spirit? You ever start something good, and then just a little while later, it's completely different? I, I made the mistake of joining the football team in the seventh grade. And uh, back then, I was like 130 pounds and... Um, 
And uh, I just joined the football team because I wanted to be popular and all the football players were popular. And somebody in here right now just joined something because you want, I, I, actually let me just, uh, I joined it because I wanted to be popular. I'm not gonna put that on you. Um, but don't sometimes we sign up for stuff that we think is gonna make us popular and then we end up messing something up. Well, same thing with me. And uh, I signed up for the football team and uh, there was this one particular practice. Y'all, I was terrible at football. Terrible. Skinny, couldn't hit. This one particular practice, though, I got three interceptions. It was like they put me on their shoulders in practice and carried me off the field. This is one of the top five moments of my life. <laughs> getting saved, getting married, Dallas and Bailey being born, and being carried off the field in the seventh grade and then being water baptized, like in that order. And so, you guys, you, I can't describe to you how this felt. They chanted my name, Julian, Julian, Julian. I thought you were gonna rejoin, join so I could relive it. Julian, Julian, Julian. And they, they, they took me down and set me down and the coach said, I'm so proud of you. And he said, I'm not making this up. He said, fellas, I've made a decision. Julian Lowe is the starting cornerback in this Friday's game. And everybody cheered except me. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. I, I, I was just practicing. Allen Iverson said, you talk, we talking about practice? I was like, we talking about practice. I don't want to. And I'm, I cannot make this up. I cannot make this up. So I get into the game on Friday, and I'm literally, I wasn't really following God back then, but I remember praying, please don't be a run play, because I knew I couldn't tackle. Please don't be a run play. Please don't be a run play. And it's a fullback sweep. Now, you might not be a football fan, but the fullback and the running back run the ball. The fullback is always way bigger than the running back. So it was a fullback sweep. And this guy gets a perfect block and comes, I'm not making this up, comes around the corner and it is only me and him. I am the only thing stopping him from getting in the end zone. And true story, as much as I can remember, because I almost went unconscious. <laughs> I went to tackle him, and I just, it was like an out-of-body experience as I like swiped and grasped at this guy with everything I got, fell on the ground, and he ran into the end zone and scored a touchdown. <laughs> now remember, Julian, Julian, my coach went, my coach went, Julian. and took me out the game, put someone in my place, and in front of the entire team, I'm not kidding, he yells at me. He said, well, Lo, I'm so glad you made sure he didn't have any weapons on him before he went into the end zone. That wasn't a tackle, it was a frisk. Get off my field. I said it to you word for word, because it's been 30 years. And I still remember that, and I never played again. 
don't say all. <laughs> I joined something to be popular. See, that's the issue. That's what happens when you join something to be popular. It doesn't end well. Here's the thing about Acts chapter 2. It started off really well. And then by Acts chapter 7, Stephen is saying, you stubborn, stiff-necked, heathen at heart, you always resist the Holy Spirit. How did it happen in such a short amount of time that the Spirit would fall and the people would resist? And what I'm realizing is that years ago, maybe 12 years ago, the Spirit fell on me in such a way, and now sometimes I resist what the Spirit is doing. Spirit says, you need to pray, and I resist. Spirit says, you need to forgive that person, and I resist. Spirit says, you need to be generous and give, and I resist. Spirit says, you need to pray, or whatever it is, and we're resisting what God is saying, therefore resisting what God wants to do. See, when you resist the Holy Spirit, you're resisting the thing you keep asking God to give you. Does that make sense? I, I'm telling you, I'm realizing, I keep, notice my prayer doesn't change. I don't know if you know this. When I resist the Holy Spirit, I still ask God to do the same thing that he did before. And, and, and the church started off well, but it didn't end well. And I really have been convicted about some things today that I want to share with you. That I believe if we take these things to heart, Here's my job. My job is to prepare you for all that God has for you. It was prophesied over me at Legacy Nights. They said this thing about Pastor Philip, where Pastor Philip got people out of, out of bondage. He said Pastor Philip was like Moses, and he got, Moses got people out of, out of bondage, out of slavery, out of. And he pointed to me, and he said, you're Joshua. You're going to get people into, into all that God has for them. So I am taking this job way more seriously each and every day that I am called by God to help you get into. Does anybody want to get into what God has for them? Okay. And so I want to tell you some things that, that um, the Lord showed me um, in, the, in the time that I have left. Revelations, uh, Revelations, I always put an S on in it, but Revelation 3.1 says this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. I was like, that's a scary verse. So I sat down, and in other parts of Revelation, it says we must listen to what the spirit is saying to the church. We must listen. Who's we? Me and you. We must listen to what the spirit is saying to the church. And one of the things that makes a church so weak is y'all listen to what the Spirit is saying to the pastor. But we, in the presence of God and in prayer, must listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Who's the church? Me and you. So when our church gets healthy, when I'm listening and you're listening, and guess what? Can you imagine how healthy our church would be when I hear something from God and you say, me too, I heard that this week? But, but churches right now are saying, hey, Let's come and let's hear what God said to Julian. No, the, the scripture said, let us come, let us have ears to hear so we can, let us, let us have ears to hear so we can hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. But what was scary about this verse is that the angel of the Lord showed up to the church and said, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. And, and in, in my time with God, I felt like God said, our church can not have a different reputation on earth and in heaven. 
Our church cannot have a different reputation on earth. Do you know how many people? This would be, if you said, Pastor Julian, you're amazing. This church is awesome. The energy, the vibe. And the angel of the Lord came up to me and said, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Which means some churches probably have a reputation for being dead, but they're alive. So we say things like, that church only has 80 people. What if they have a reputation for being dead, but God's saying, now this is my kind of church. I'm telling you, sometimes we think God's view of church is so much different than our view of church. I told this story before, but I'll I'll share it again. I heard a story one time, and it was about a a woman who came to church, and she had like a really, you know, uh, tight, you know, dress on and makeup on from last night. She had been out partying and drinking all night. And she comes into this church and she sits right in the front row and she was like dressed all skimpy. And then the pastor saw her over there and it was a small church. So at the end of the church, he would, he would shake hands with everybody who came. And when he shook her hand, he said, hey, um, I believe you're dressed inappropriately and I want you to ask God what he should have you wear when you come to church. And she was devastated and went home. She felt so embarrassed. And so she goes home, and she does, though, what, what the pastor said. So she comes back the next week, and, and she says, uh, and she has a similar outfit on, still dressed super skimpy, and she sits in the front row, and pastor sees her, and this time he's really irritated because she didn't take his instruction. And so uh, once again, he's outside, and he's shaking hands, and when he shakes her hand, he says, I thought I told you to ask God what you should wear to this church. And the girl says, I did ask God. And the pastor says, well, what did he say? God said, he doesn't know. He's never been here. (laughs) See, some churches can have a reputation for being alive when they're actually dead. And I want to tell you, in the next three years of Oasis, Oasis will have a reputation in our community that matches our reputation in heaven. I'm gonna say that one more time. Oasis Church, I'm prophesying this over you. We will have a reputation in our community that matches our reputation in heaven. Anyone who has ears to hear must hear what the Spirit is saying to the pastor, no, to the church. God is saying this to you. And so what my job is, is not to speak to you. My real job involves speaking to you, but my real job is Holy Spirit, use me to open their ears so they can hear from you themselves. We gotta have the same reputation in heaven that we do in in our community. And and then I started praying again, "Well, well, how do we do that? How do we have the reputation in, in, in heaven and in our community. And sometimes we care so much about what heaven's doing, we don't care about our communities. And so God was showing me, we have to be relatable while remaining reliable. What I mean by that is we have to be relatable, but we can't love so much we forget to tell the truth. In our efforts to love, we can't hold back the truth. We can't, we can't stop preaching the word. We can't apologize for what the Bible says about marriage. We can't apologize for what the word says. We didn't write it, so why do we owe anybody apology for what it says? We have to be bold, and we have to share what God has put in our hearts to share. And this is uh, 
This is interesting. Um, we have to be relatable while, while remaining reliable. Can God trust you? So many times we talk about trusting God, but can God trust you? If it's God's 10 million, can God trust you with 10 million? I've realized God cannot trust me with 10 million. He can't. He knows. <laughs> Brandon Hunter Davis will be up every Sunday if I had 10 million. That's why I don't have it, because I can't be trusted with it. And we, we act like God's not good, but instead of asking God to give me wealth, I'm asking God, how do I earn your trust? Instead of saying, why am I not married? Can God, can you trust me with one of your sons? Can you trust me with one of your daughters? Instead of saying, I've been trying to get pregnant. God, I want to be trusted with your children. I want you to be able to trust me. God, I trust you, but I want you to be able to trust me. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus loved people, but, they, but certain, he knew he couldn't trust them because he knew what was in them? It says Jesus didn't, couldn't trust people. I want to be trusted by Jesus. I want Jesus to trust me with the church. And here's what makes me fulfilled as a pastor is that Jesus trusts me with y'all. You know what y'all are going to do with your life, and Jesus will trust me with an amazing group of people that have a calling and have a purpose. You're not perfect, but you got a purpose. And God, you're going to trust these people with me? I feel trusted by God. We got to be relatable, but we got to be reliable. First Thessalonians. I can't even say it. First Thessalonians 2.4 says this, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. I don't just preach, I'm trusted with a word from heaven. Can you hear something else God showed me? I'm telling you all these things because here, here's what God showed me. God showed me that he's been visiting and he wants to dwell. And if we don't operate in unity around what I'm talking about right now, then it brings about division. Think about a marriage, and there's kids involved. Many of you in this room are a victim of, 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 of your parents getting divorced and having to go back and forth. And typically, the mom gets the kids, and the father has visitation rights. Well, why does the father have visitation rights? Because of division in the marriage. And so now he can no longer dwell with his children. He has to visit because there's division. And when there's division in the church, God doesn't lose his visitation rights, but he cannot dwell. And God showed me, Julian, if you don't start telling people the truth, then I'm just picking up my kids on the weekend for a visit. And you're giving them a ride on Sundays while I visit with my kids. He says, I'm, I'm their father. I'll never lose visitation rights, but I want to dwell. And we have to encamp around the presence of God, around the truth of God, in unity. And so that when we do that, God doesn't visit. He dwells. Do you hear what I'm saying? God doesn't want visitation rights. He wants to dwell. And so these things that I'm, I was praying about this morning, God was showing me about these things, and I believe that if if you, uh, and I'm not only going to talk about these things once. This will be most, these things I'm reading will be most about what I preach about uh, in the next uh, several, several months. Um, the other thing I want to tell you is that uh, preferences should never replace prophecy. That's what God showed me in my time this morning. If we want to God to dwell, preferences cannot replace prophecy. Here's what I mean. Um, 
one of the great damages that have happened in our nation is racism, especially recently. I mean, the 60s were crazy, but recently there's been like this weird thing where, you know, people are gathering with Confederate flags and doing all this crazy stuff. And so then it, it causes the church to raise up hate towards a racist, which we should absolutely be bothered by injustice without hating the people doing it. We have to hate injustice, not the perpetrators. And so the church is now hating the perpetrators of injustice instead of the injustice. And when you hate the perpetrators of the injustice, you actually post about the perpetrators while doing nothing about the injustice. You see the difference? You, you, you post about abortion and you don't watch a single mom's kid. Do you see what I'm saying? That's when you hate the perpetrator. And so our preferences cannot replace prophecy. So you might not be a racist, but I want to tell you this, that preference is the gateway to prejudice and prejudice is the gateway to racist. And although I detest racism, I don't want you or I to become a preferist. So you might not be a racist, but are you a preferist? Do you prefer people with money over people who don't? Do you prefer celebrities sitting in the front row instead of the poor? Would you reserve a seat for Brad Pitt, but not a seat for Tyrone Pitt? <laughs> Some of y'all said, who's that? My point exactly. Do you have a preference? Do you have a preference over the way people dress? Do you have a preference over the way people look? Do you, do you really, like, you love black people as long as they don't marry your daughter? Do you love white people as long as they don't marry your daughter? Do you love, oh, I don't, I'm not a racist. God, it's not that God is not a racist. The Bible says he's no respecter of persons. He has no preferences. Is there anybody you prefer to not be up here? Is anybody you prefer to lead worship? Do you prefer certain songs over others? Do you prefer gospel? Do you prefer rock? Do you prefer Oasis over Hillsong? <gasps> he said Hillsong? <laughs> Do you prefer God to move in this church but not the one down the street? When we say, God, pour out your spirit, are we talking about Oasis or are we talking about the global international church? Doesn't matter where you do it, just pour it out. I am confessing to you, I can honestly say I've never been a racist, but I've been a preference my whole life. I prefer this type of leader over that one, right? We prefer prophecy over structure, and the people who are organized hate the people who are spontaneous, and we just have our preferences. People come to church with their preferences. I don't want you to come to church because you prefer my preaching. I want you to come to church because the Lord led you here. And you have a call and you have a purpose in this house. It's not about me. It's not. Are you giving in to your, your preferences? This is really important, you guys. Romans 4, 17 says this, that is as written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believe he gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So here's what God does when he doesn't prefer something that you're doing. He prophesies. I love that. 
if we don't want to be a church that just has visitation rights, when you see something that you don't like, that you don't prefer, will you prophesy? If you see somebody who's drinking, obviously you would prefer for them not to drink, but can you prophesy? By the Spirit of the Lord, you will break every addiction in your life. Or you're going to say, you know, Johnny hitting the bottle again, and you don't prophesy? I'm not asking you to prefer it. I'm just asking you to speak the word of the Lord over it, because that's what God is doing to you. God's not saying, you know, um, Dave don't make enough money to pay his bills. God's saying to you, I will provide for you. And not only that, I will provide for you through multi-generations in the name of Jesus. I need you to, he's prophesying. He's prophesying. Okay, can I give you another one? I got to move around a little bit because I'm going to run out of time. And it, this one was hard to write down. And uh, I want to thank not just pastors um, in our church, our marriage pastors, but just really uh, Patrick and Don, Patrick and Don Lombard are such accountability to my wife and I. And uh, we look up to them. And uh, we went out to dinner with them uh, about a week or so ago. And Patrick asked me the question, who can tell you no? And not who do you get advice from. Who can tell you no? Are you around people who can tell you no? And I, and I am. Anna tells me no all the time. <laughs> and people tell me no, like, uh, don't do that. And so I, I was encouraged that I could answer the question um, uh, with no. But it's not about, I have staff around me, but here's the thing. I want you to um, take this in. Um, lead pastors cannot have too much responsibility and too much power. If we're gonna be a church that doesn't have visitation rights. Because guess what? I have a gift on my life. So if I come up here and start preaching and y'all get all riled up, yeah, that it means it's on me. But I, wanna, I want you to read what the Bible says is that in Acts chapter 8, 1 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God was not talking to just the pastor. I get it, I, I have responsibility. I have a sense of power, we have a board, I get all of that, but y'all are supposed to be walking in truth and in the power of the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power. It says that in the NLT. Can I read it to you in the, the, the SBV? Y'all will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon y'all. You ain't about to have Pastor Julian all stressed out doing stuff by himself. The SBV is the San Bernardino version. I'm gonna read that again. Y'all will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon y'all. You ain't about to have Pastor Julian all stressed out doing stuff by himself. God raised you up. You were born for a purpose. The Spirit lives in you. You can preach. You can share the word. You can pray. You can encourage. You can love. You can have joy. You can have peace. You can have all the things the Holy Spirit has given me. When he said you, he meant y'all. He wasn't talking to a person. He was talking to a community. If we do this, man, the Spirit is going to dwell, not visit. Can I be honest with you? I don't want to feel like I'm dropping you off to see your daddy on the weekend. I'll be honest. 
I don't want to feel like I'm dropping you off to see your daddy on the weekend. Because that can kind of feel good sometimes, you know? And we got we to gotta change that. You know, we, we, um, we pray for revival um, all the time. And um, revival is God letting things go. Revival is God letting things go. It's him letting things go. So we have to be forgiving. We have to let go of our offenses because revival is God letting things go. And revival becomes difficult in churches, and this is my final thing, and I'm going to pray for you, where, where people are holding on, holding in, or holding back. Somebody in this room is one of those three or all three. You're, you're holding on, you're holding in, or you're holding back. And I want to pray for some people right now. Albert, you can come get this, but I want you to stand to your feet right now. I feel the spirit so strong. Remember, I don't want to drop you off to see your father on the weekend. I want the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus the Son, I want him to dwell in your life. And somebody is holding on, holding in, or holding back. I was praying so hard for y'all this morning, and the spirit said, People are holding in, holding on, and holding back. I kept praying, and God kept saying the same thing. People are holding on, holding in, and holding back. And if you don't tell them about it, you're going to drop them off to see me on the weekend. And I don't want visitation rights. I want to be with them. I want to dwell. I want to dwell. Yeah, I know you can preach and get everybody all riled up, and then they go home, and I'm not going home with them. I don't want you to drop them off to see me. I want to dwell. I want to dwell. I want to dwell. But they're, they're holding on, they're holding in, and they're holding back. They're holding on, they're holding in, and holding back. And I'm going to pray for some people holding in. You cannot be vulnerable. You cannot be vulnerable. You cannot be vulnerable. You don't tell people who you really are. Right? God will always, you can always... God loves you just the way you are, but you will never encounter God's love as the person you're pretending to be. You know, I had this thing, um, October 13th, you know, they say new levels, new devils. And I had this sin I thought I kicked, thought I had a beat. And then all of a sudden, October 13th came, I got prayed in as a lead pastor, and I started getting attacked with temptation of pornography. And you know, so I started doing my Holy Ghost stuff. I had oil from Jerusalem, doing all this stuff, man. Reading 18,000 Bible verses. I was going in. I was swaying at home. Like just, you know how y'all sway when God's moving? I was just at home like, Lord, you gotta help me. And I didn't feel like I was getting any breakthrough. I just kept getting tempted, kept getting tempted. And uh, you know what the Lord said? He said, who do you not wanna tell? Who's the person you'd be the most afraid to tell? And I said, Pastor Philip. He said, well, that's who I want you to tell. It's going to break. I said, now, wait one minute. <laughs> Let me get this straight. You want me to tell the person who just gave me his church that I'm struggling with temptation? He said, yep. I said, well, we're going to have to go on a hike. I'm going to have to tell him on a mountaintop because the higher I get to you, like I'm just like trying to do something spiritual. He said, stop being so spiritual and be transparent. Stop being so spiritual and just be vulnerable. So I told him, and he'd been praying for me 
asking me how I'm doing. He spoke so much life over me. And you know what I told him, and I realized where my guilt came from. I said, I feel like I'm getting the victory, but only because I'm, I'm a pastor. And if I fail, the consequences, like I'm scared of the consequences. And I said, but if I felt like I was a fireman, I'd be doing it every day. And the only reason I'm not is because I'm scared that I'll, I'll lose my calling. And he said, that's a wonderful reason. <laughs> Sometimes it just doesn't work like that. Sometimes you need people praying for you. Sometimes you need to know there's no guilt or there's no shame. And I was vulnerable. And the victory I've been walking in in this area since I was vulnerable, I just said something. I just said something. And I'm saying it to y'all. And if that means you don't want to hear me preach, well, all right. But I'm going to get victory in this thing because I'm not going to keep it to myself. Right? And, uh, and tell somebody that you would be scared to tell. Like, tell your pastor. Tell somebody in authority to you. Don't tell the homie that's more trifling than you. So, so they can say, I feel you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know? At least you ain't sleeping around, you know what I'm saying? You gotta... <laughs> Don't tell that person. Tell that person who's gonna pray. Tell that person who's gonna encourage you. Don't tell the person who, can, who gets it. Tell the person you think that wouldn't get it and ask them to pray. Gotta be vulnerable. Does that make sense? 